0: We're in our series in the book of Acts called Our Hearts Burn Within, and today we're talking about Christian leadership. Now, we all lead to some degree in some area of our life, and we all follow to some degree into some area of our life. And there are different roles in leadership. There are stated leadership positions like in your workplace or in an organization. There are roles within a family. And then there are friendships where there are less stated leadership roles, But there is leadership there. And then there's the type of leader that they might not even have the stated position. But when they speak, everyone listens. And then we all, to some degree, are following someone. And the best leaders are the ones who follow after the right people. Paul, who we are now following in the book of Acts, and we'll follow him all the way to the end of this book... He could be called the greatest movement leader in the history of the world. And in our verses today, what we have is he is gathering all the leaders in the church in Ephesus. This is the first time, in fact, that we are able to look into a speech that isn't given to both believers and skeptics in the book of Acts. So what we have before is a front row seat to Paul talking to leaders in the church of Ephesus. And here's why it's so significant. Paul is convinced he's about to leave them to his death. And he ends up being right. He says, I'll never see you again, which is true. And he believes that in his heart. So he has something to say to them. So he gives them some practices or he gives them some characteristics of what it means to be a leader. And when we think about leadership today, often we measure a leader by the ability for him or her to be successful. But. Paul says nothing of that. Paul's speaking about character. And he's going to give us five characteristics of a leader that is worth following. And before we we read our verses, you need to know this. Leadership is incredibly important because the question you have to ask when you lead, and we all lead, is where are you leading people? And C.S. Lewis says that we are all either becoming something That one day in eternity, if we saw who we would be one day in eternity, we'd be tempted to bow to that person. Be tempted to do that. But also, meaning something so beautiful, but also, we are also being led in a direction, potentially, that if we looked at this person, we would turn away because they've been distorted into something else. So every time you lead, you're moving people in one direction or another. So leadership is incredibly important. It's eternal type of stuff. No matter where you're leading, you're always leading someone somewhere. And our verses today are Acts 20. We're going to read verses 17 through 38. So if you want to read along with me... Oh, by the way, we're doing Q&A today at the end of the sermon. So if you have a question, you can text it to me even in the middle of the sermon. And I'll get to it when we get there. But my number will be on the screen at the end of the sermon. So we can do some Q&A together. All right, here we go. Acts 20, verse 17. Now for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them... And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life, my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And when he had said these things... He knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. All right, so here's the five characteristics that we see Paul highlight himself as an example in how we should all live as leaders, whatever role we're taking humility, vulnerability, sacrifice, joy, and then truth. So first one is humility. Paul says he came with all humility. The Greeks, the people that Paul is speaking to, thought humility to be a disgusting trait. And the Greeks were all about virtue, but this was not a virtue for the Greeks. But for the Christians, humility is one of the highest traits, highest virtues that you can have. So, it's, it's almost flipped. So what is it about humility that's so important to the Christians? Well, what is humility? Humility is not thinking more of yourself or less of yourself, but simply to cease thinking of the self. You're not arrogantly thinking about yourself, like how great you are, and you're not loathing yourself about how bad you are. You are simply not measuring yourself anymore because you don't have attention on you anymore. For the Christian, they have found something. They have found love and joy in Christ, and they have found a beauty and a glory that has been lavished upon them that now they are looking elsewhere. They're not looking at themselves anymore. So, so sometimes people will say Christianity is about selflessness. And that, even in and of itself, is a problem because you're still thinking of the self. It's like the, the, the trait that's produced when you're a Christian is selflessness. But if you're thinking about selflessness, you're no longer selfless because you're thinking about the self. So he, here's what it means to be human. And l- let me just take you through how this is able to happen for you. You have sin in your life and it produces in you guilt and shame. And when you feel the weight of the guilt and shame... You begin to become obsessive about yourself and consumed with yourself. And you can't think about another because you're in so much pain. And then Christ comes along and gives radical grace. And he justifies you, which means he takes all of your guilt and shame and he puts it upon himself on the cross and he's crushed under the weight of it. And then he takes his beautiful and perfect record and he gives it to you. And now when the father sees you, he sees you with the same intensity of love that he would have for his one and only son. That is what you get to experience when you're a Christian. And then, because of that, when you enter into glory in the future, look at what's going to happen to you. Watch watch what's going to happen. You are going to behold God, and he's going to behold you. And he is going to have delight in you, affection for you, joy in you. You will be famous in his eyes. And you step into that and receive that and you're overwhelmed by it and you're gonna look at him and look in the eye, look him in the eyes and when you're looking at him and how he's looking at you, it's gonna make you spot his glory. You're gonna see it and you're gonna become absolutely overwhelmed by him and all that he's done for you and it's a beauty so great that you can't take your eyes off of. And once that happens to you, thinking of yourself is kind of dull and boring. Because you found something amazing that has raptured your attention off of yourself. That's the cure. The greatest leaders are humble. And they're humble because they follow Christ. And they're looking at Christ and they're seeing his glory so the attention's off of them. But, but as they're watching Christ, watch what happens. So if you're watching Christ, here's what you see. You see God himself Who held the might of the stars in his hands, and he lays his glory aside, and he comes down and humbles himself, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I mean, he's as low as you can go. He's in the dirt. Like, he's literally come to wipe away our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So, he's literally dirty with the blood of your sin upon himself. He brought himself that low. And when you see him do it, you have both an example, but you also have a savior. And those two things are important to have. And that is the movement of Christianity. It's always God coming down and lifting us up. And that's the pattern. And that's the pattern that we then begin to follow. Now, okay, how does this apply to your leadership? Well, if you're a business owner, if you're a boss, if you're a manager, if you're a teacher with a bunch of kids here's what you do. You bring yourself as low as possible to lift others up. Like you got to get underneath them. So in order to get underneath, you got to go super low to lift up. And when you're struggling to do that, remind yourself in the morning before you go to work that you are there to serve the same way that Christ came here to serve you. He didn't come here to be served, but to serve. So there's humility. Now, vulnerability. And by the way, each one of these could be separate sermons. So, like, you might need to put this on repeat to listen back again. So, second is vulnerability. Christianity strangely celebrates weakness. Paul says, When I am weakest, then I am the strongest. Because when he is weakest, when he's in the the greatest amount of despair, he reaches up for God and finally finds his strength by reaching to him. And then that means all the strength and power of the resurrection is now pulsating within Paul and then pulsating within you by faith. If you will be aware of your weakness and then reach up to him for strength. And then we see that Paul does not hide his weakness, but shows it to those that he's leading. He's leading. He he cries in front of them, like he's weeping. In the book of Corinthians, he says, I came to you in weeping, fear, and trembling because of all that he's been through. Now, okay, this is Paul. If we're going to go with this, that he's one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world, he is coming to the people that he is leading, and he's trembling in front of them. And he's being vulnerable with them. And he's crying with them. Now, this is terrifying for men to do. Absolutely terrifying. And yet the picture here is a bunch of grown men crying like babies, talking about their feelings. So what, why would he do this? Because I'm going to tell you this. All leaders, like you hear this all the time, leaders shouldn't be vulnerable like this with their people. They need to appear strong. In fact, often pastors will tell other pastors, be careful about how vulnerable you are with your people. So I'm actually beginning to believe that this is one of the most important characteristics to have in leading people, and here's why. Because when you're vulnerable with someone, when you let them into the place where you are at your lowest, you've invited them there, what you've done is you've brought them to a place where you have to find Christ, And when they see you find Christ there, they now know how to find Christ. And they see you being lifted up by Christ, and now you have led them to your bottom and showed them how when they get to their bottom, they know how to be lifted up by Christ. And not only that, but because leaders create culture, so what you've just done, if you've created a culture of vulnerability... So because now you have been vulnerable with somebody, they're going to be vulnerable with you, which means they're inviting you into their low place. And when you get there with them, you can tell them about Christ, but you can also lift them up. And some of you have been looking for Christ. You're not a Christian and you've been looking for him and you haven't found him. Or some of you have been Christians for a while, but you feel like you haven't met with Christ in a long time, and you're wondering where he is. I'm going to tell you where he is right now. He's all the way there at your bottom. He's there in the place of complete weakness, and you are terrified to go there. And if you will just descend down into your weakness, you're finally going to meet him there, and then he's going to lift you up. Now, when you combine vulnerability with humility, you have a recipe or an environment for transformation. If you're not willing to be humble, you'll never go down to people. And if you're not willing to be vulnerable, they'll never let you down to where their weakness is. So if you're not humble, you never go down. If you're not vulnerable, they'll never invite you down with them. But if you're both of those things, well, you could bring about great transformation with people. So how do you get the strength to do this? I mean, because it is terrifying. This terrifies me to be vulnerable with people. Well, you have to see how God's done that. Like, he was completely strong, became weak, came into our world, and became, became completely vulnerable, nailed to a cross. So he can meet you at your low places. Like, he went all the way down to meet you there. You think about your parenting. Probably one of the greatest things your kids need from you is to be vulnerable with them. And you probably aren't being vulnerable with them. You probably think, I need to appear strong for them so that they don't feel like anything is at risk or in danger. And so what you've just done is you've taught them to appear to be strong when they're not. When they need to be aware of their weakness, they're pretending to be strong. But if you'll be vulnerable with your kids and show them your weakness, what you have just done is you've created an environment where you they're able to see you at your low points. And then in seeing you there, you find Christ. So now what they now know how to do is when they're experiencing anxiety pain fear heartbreak loss they know how to find christ there because they've watched you do it but if they've never seen you do it they won't know how to and also by doing that is because you have done this you've now created a culture of vulnerability so because they have seen oh it's right for my parents to be vulnerable then maybe i should be vulnerable And then they're vulnerable with you. And in their vulnerability, you see what they're going through. You see their pain and their suffering and their loss and whatever they're going through. And you can speak words about Christ to them that will lift them up. And you can, you yourself can then lift them up. Because you've created an environment of vulnerability. So humility, vulnerability, and then sacrifice. Third point. Paul knows he's about to die. And he says this to them. I do not count my life of value only that I may finish my course. Like the end of the race. What's the finish line for Paul? It's you. You're his finish line. The glory, you discovering the glory and beauty and worth of Christ is what Paul is fighting for. And it's what he ultimately dies for. We are here today and we've got to believe to some degree that we are talking about Paul. So he has had rippling effects all the way through 2000 years later because of his willingness to sacrifice. His course is to get to you. And he's willing to die for you to hear this today. Now, doesn't that make you want to follow him? Because leaders make sacrifices. Leaders go to the front lines. Now, in a battle, a leader's on the phone making calls to those on the front line of what they should be doing. But there was a time when there were swords and shields, the coolest kind of war to be fought, that the leaders were out on the front And they were charging out first. This is exactly what Christ does. He says, no greater love is there than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. So leaders make sacrifices. And that's the culture that they make. And then, because sacrifice looks like laying down your life as love, then love, well, what is it? Well, it's patient. It's kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it doesn't keep record of right or wrong. And these are all internal sacrifices that will lead to outward sacrifices. So again, leaders create culture. So here is my question to husbands and fathers. What is the culture that's being created in your home? And is it marked by love? By patience, kindness, humility, vulnerability, or is there a lot of keeping record of right and wrong? You know, spouses, you you already know this, so I'm just going to pull the veil back. You're always keeping record of who's sacrificed the most, of who's done the most, and you're secretly counting up this number in the back of your head but we're called to love like Christ loved the church, men. So Ephesians says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Can you imagine if Christ was keeping score? Like watching us like, ooh, no, I think I'll stay up here. But he doesn't. He comes to us when we're rejecting him. This is the message for husbands and how to love your wife. So is that... Husbands, is that the kind of culture that's being created in your home? And if not, that's on you. You have to take responsibility for that. Because if we're thinking in terms of leadership, home is really the proving grounds for leadership outside in the world. In fact, the Bible puts a huge emphasis on looking at the health of a family and then saying the health of this family will determine what the culture of leadership this leader will create outside of the home. In other words, whatever the culture you're creating in your home, that is the culture that you will create wherever you lead. That's why Paul says, pick your elders and deacons by looking at their households and how they lead in their home. Now, okay, the truth is that some of us have easier or harder households. My kids take after me and I'll let you figure out what that means. But you're going to be facing difficulties at some point in your family. It happens. You're going to be facing hardships. And your ability to create a healthy environment there is based off of the ability for you to lead your family. And how do you lead your family? Well, we have to look at Christ. Like if you are following him, he's brought himself low out and lifted you up out of death. Like the power of the resurrection is within you, which means that as you're facing suffering and trial, the degree that you follow Christ is the degree that you're able to create a healthy home no matter what you're facing. He faced death and conquered it. And then he gave you that same life. So that power is in you to create a healthy home. If you're a boss, if you're a business owner, if you're a leader in some organization and you're wanting more sacrifice from your people, well, sacrifice first for them. And if you want them to be great employees, you've got to teach them to love their families more than their work. And I'll tell you what normally happens. An organization wants you to sacrifice your family for the sake of work. But what a healthy organization will understand is that if the home is the proving ground, then the leader in the organization will want to help their people lead a healthy house life so that in their home all that health will then transfer into the workplace. And then I'm telling you, if if you if you are running a business like or, or a boss or a manager and you, or a teacher, and you could just teach this to your people, They're gonna, and you live sacrificially like that for them, like for their family, they will be loyal to you. And they will love you for what you have sacrificed for them. And they will be a great employee. Because they've seen you sacrifice for them. All right, now where do you get the strength and courage to, to sacrifice? I mean, the way that Paul is sacrificing where he's ready to lay down his life. The answer is you look at Christ's sacrifice for you. He's your savior and he's your teacher. So you have the power that's given from him to sacrifice, yet he's teaching you the way to do it. And then this will produce a culture of joy if you submit to that leader. Ooh. This is not a word that we like today. All right, here's our next point is joy. The same way that resurrection is on the other side of sacrifice, so also joy is re, sorry, resurrection is on the other side of the cross, so also joy is on the other side of sacrifice. But in order to get to that joy, you must submit to your leaders. In Hebrews, it says, obey your leaders so that it might go well with you. So if it's going well with you, that means your life is good. You have the good life, which means you're enjoying it. And then it says, so that your leader might also enjoy leading you. So what you've just seen here is a culture of joy created by a willingness on the leader to sacrifice and those that they are leading to submit to them. Now, we don't like this word, submit, and... And by, and by the way, if they're not a good leader, this is a different story. But if they are, submit to them. All right. We don't like this word. But joy comes from submission. In fact, when we think of God, God is the ultimate definition of everything that's good. That's why the Bible doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love. And you do this with everything. With joy. God isn't just joyful. He is joy. So if you submit to God fully, give yourself over to him, you then become enveloped by love and joy and everything that's good. It envelops you. Ephesians says, submit to Christ. Then it says, submit to each other. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, okay, never before in the history of the world has this been a harder statement to swallow than it is today. We want to spit it out, throw it on the ground, and stomp it with our feet. So the question needs to be, that we need to be asking here, is why is the Bible saying this? Because the Bible is always after our good. So what is the Bible after? Well, just before it says, wives, submit to your husbands, It says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Well, how has Christ loved the church? Well, he has completely humbled himself, went all the way down, and lifted the church up. And so what it means is husbands are to bring themselves below their wives and lift them up above them in honor. They're humbling themselves and lifting up their wives. They're being vulnerable with their wives, being honest with their wives, but yet lifting them up above them, showing their weakness in order to lift them up. Um, sacrificing, being willing to give their life for their family. Husbands, that means you are honoring your wife. It means you're thankful for your wife. It means you're thanking God for your wife. Um. You're letting her know this. You're figuring out whatever her love language is and you're making her feel loved, like the greatest treasure in your life besides God. All right. Wives, if you have the husband that is like that, follow him to the ends of the earth. All right. Now, let's be honest. We're not really doing this. Like when I think about my responsibility to love my wife like Christ loved the church, I'm failing completely. Like, I'm not that humble. Um, I'm doing a lot of scorekeeping. I'm doing things, but I'm, I'm kind of in the back of my mind making a mark or a measurement. And even when I'm not, even when, like, there are times when I'm doing it with, like, just complete sacrificial love, Then later, you know, we get in a fight, and then it all pops pops back up in my mind. I'm like, oh, hey, do you remember when I did that thing? So I'm keeping score. So I'm, I'm failing when I do that. So what we need to be doing is we need to be praying for our spouses. Praying that we can live into what this is. Um... Yeah, we need a lot of prayer. And then listen, if you have a good boss, submit to your boss. You know, we don't like this word submit because we want freedom. And what I'm telling you is there's joyful freedom in this. So if you have a great boss, submit to him or her and it will bring a culture of joy. And if you can't submit, you can't be a Christian because the whole premise of christianity is that you've got to submit to christ so you say okay well how am i going to learn to submit to christ and how am i going to learn to do, to live like this and the answer is by looking at his submission when jesus was praying in the garden he's given like this vision probably of of what's about to happen. He's given this vision of the cross and he's in this garden praying and he begins to sweat blood, which is something that's actually able to happen. If you're under enough stress, it's called hematidrosis, you will begin to sweat blood. So he's driven into despair. I mean, he's at a point of weakness, of vulnerability, of humility, and he's ready to sacrifice. And then here's what he says to the father. Father, please let this cup pass from me. Meaning, I don't want to drink the judgment that's deserved for all of humanity. I don't want to take that on. Let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. Perfect submission to the Father for you. So in a way, he's, it's like he's submitting to you and the need that you have for him to bring himself low in order to lift you up. So then we ask with all of this, in every way, how do we learn to lead like this? How do we learn to follow like this? How do we learn to be selfless in our leadership and be submissive as we follow? Well, here's our last point, truth. Paul will not shrink from the truth, he says. And it's going to lead to his death. He submits to the truth. He gives his life over to the truth. The truth is in complete control of him, and it makes him completely free. It makes him not think about himself at all, but think of the glory and the beauty and the worth of God completely. So what is the truth that he has found that's given him this gift to be able to be courageous and humble and vulnerable and sacrificial? It's the gospel. And when we think about leadership in particular, the gospel says, That Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Now, the God of all things has come to serve you. He's a king who serves. And in fact, if you want to be a good leader, leader, you have to have him serve you. Why? Why does he say, I came not to be served, but to serve because there is nothing that we can give him that he doesn't already have. He is, doesn't need anything. But we need everything from him. So he comes to serve us. You know, we respond like Peter. He's ready to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, no, 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 no. no. I have to wash yours. And Jesus says, what are you doing, Peter? What will you give me that I don't already have? I must serve You and I must wash your feet. The best leaders are the ones who let Christ serve them. And when Christ serves them, he makes you more like him. What did he do? Like, how did he serve you? Well, again, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He faced death. He looked it straight in the eyes. He faced terror. He faced horror. He faced hell and brought himself down into it. And that means with the same courage now that he had, he gives to you by faith so that when you stare terror, despair, heartbreak, and death in the face, you rise up. Not by your might, but by his because you're aware of your weakness. Because, you know, he became weak to meet you in your weakness and then lift you up out of it. And then he, he sacrificed himself there in the weakness. And then when he rose from the dead, he lifted you up into eternal joy with him forever. Follow him and you'll be a leader worth following. Because the best leaders follow the right people. And when you follow Christ... It's as if you've become a leader that has been plucked out of heaven and you're leading here on the earth. Let's pray. God, in your goodness, in your beauty, and in your worth, you have come to us. And you have shown us a glory and a beauty and a worth that is so wonderful that we can't help but drop to our knees but then you somehow come lower than us and lift us up. We love you for this and we praise you for it. We don't deserve you, but you've come anyways. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's see if we've got any questions coming in. What is an example of a business owner or manager sacrificing for his or her employees? And then how do you do that with the household? Um, Well, I'm trying to think if I should... We're a small little church, so I can't really use this as a complete example. Um, I, think it, I think it looks like, if, if you're a manager or business owner, I think it looks like loving your people that work for you so much that you value the, their um, health and their well-being more than the organization. I think I'm saying this right. But then, look, by doing that, you've created an amazing organization. You see? So, um, practically speaking, um, I don't know. I think you have to talk to your people and ask them. Um, ask them what it looks like. See, I'm not a business owner, so I don't, I don't know this as well. I think probably what should happen, and what I'd like to see happen in the future, actually, is us have this collection of um, business owners and entrepreneurs and leaders, business leaders who can come together and talk about what it means to live out the Christian faith in the workplace. So uh, that is my answer, but I would also say probably see a a business owner and ask them and um, you guys can get to the bottom of it all. How is submitting to the husband more freeing than not submitting? My first impulse was to say, I don't know, but then I think I might have something. Um, When we submit to Christ, we are more free. And because we're because he has uh, he's shown us a love. So love will set you free. Truth will set you free. He is, he is the truth and, and he is love. And so those two things coming together makes you free. Uh, practically speaking, how does that happen? Um, well, it means you're not worrying about yourself anymore. Like, l- l- like you aren't free. You're in this prison of your sin, shame and guilt, and it's overwhelming you. And if you could be free of that, you'll really know what freedom tastes like. And that's exactly what Christ gives us. Now, okay, what's that? Ha- why would that mean if a if, if a wife submits to her husband, she would be more free? Well, because he's supposed to be loving her with that same love. Look, I know that this is hard for you guys to like swallow this pill and figure out what this all means. All I know is the Bible's saying it, and the Bible is right. Um, and if your husband is so, if you're if you're a wife and your husband is loving you like that, um. It creates a culture where you are so loved and cherished and approved, like, like, like the same way God approves us, like he delights in us, that you're no longer worrying about yourself because you are that loved. All right, so I've just made all the husbands kind of do this. And, and you know, like, that, that's okay. Like, we're all trying to figure this out, but I do know that this is good. And I, knew, I do know, like, in our culture, we're actually asking a lot more from our wives than husbands. And so that means, I think, husbands, we need to really, like, rise up to this. Okay? All right, let's see if we can squeeze one more in. How are we doing on time? We're doing okay. How does someone who feels they are not in a leadership position start making changes in their workplace or household? Um, remember that thing I opened up with that the when the real leader speaks, everybody listens. I forget this is like a, some guy said this, like Hutton or something. Um, if you will love people like this, you will make changes. Like you will, you're going to make, if you will lay down, like live in such a way where you're laying down your life, like Christ has laid down his life for us, people are going to probably really care about what you think because you have cared so much about them. And I think that's how you lead. And, And yeah, maybe sometimes it won't get returned. It wasn't returned to Christ, but he kept enduring to the end. And then that is what eventually won everyone over, um, this word endurance um, means a faith that's like stretched out, which means it's not like you're faithful at one mark and then the next mark you're like you aren't. You're taking this faith that you have and you're and you're stretching it out in your life. And then by doing that, you've become someone worth following. Now, now look, 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 look. Our culture today values success more than character. But let me tell you what that means. It means our culture is craving people of great character. And if you'll just give them that and value people, they'll value what you have to say. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.